0: This is episode 14 of the RV8 podcast, the beginning of the second season. I do want to send a shout out to the late Elaine Stickles, who passed away recently. I wanted to say thank you, Elaine, because you really did look the other way when it came to the cast of characters that were under your employ. We hit standees with pickup trucks we hooked Xboxes up to the movie screens. We spent all day in a birthday room playing video games when we weren't supposed to be at work at all. We hung out outside of the job after hours when the theater was long closed. And you knew all of this. And you looked the other way and you let us be us. We would like to think that we were slick, but we all knew you were watching You knew we were having fun, and for some reason, you let us do it. Without Elaine Stickles, we probably would have been fired and would have never worked into another job again, and this podcast indefinitely would not exist in the form that it does. So thank you. My name is Eli. Thank you for listening. Let's get started. And here we go. So, I guess it all starts at the beginning of last year. The promises of reopening were in full swing. I was starving to go back into the movies and experience them the way that I'd experienced them all my life. I found that the whole experience in 2020, seeing big-time movies like Wonder Woman 84, for example... my laptop or on my Xbox was almost painful like I'm I'm the one guy out of the entire group of people that I know in this city that would much rather see something in the theater than on a streaming service even when it's something that's highly anticipated or something that's won awards I mean hell, power of the dog just won the Golden Globe for best picture and I'm gonna take two buses to go and see it At the New Beverly Cinema in 35mm, rather than just opening my laptop and hitting it on Netflix and getting it popping. I say this because I'm the first to admit that I'm extremely behind when it comes to movies that are exclusively on streaming services. Not that I haven't seen anything. I've seen a healthy amount, in fact. But, you know, streaming service originals are... Well, let's just say that they're a topic for another episode, all right? There are a lot of people who've been hesitant, even up until this point, to go to an actual movie theater. And I guess I can understand that sentiment, given how many, you know, given how even partaking in that activity was sold to the masses as being the one sure way that you can catch the coronavirus for the pretty much majority of 2020. I guess I'm impelled to make this episode about my journey as a moviegoer throughout the year of 2021. Because I kind of want to share what it was like for a dude like me, who has unapologetically been hitting the movie theaters pretty much two times a week since they opened in March of 2021. I just want to share what it's like for me. Godzilla vs. Kong was the first movie I saw last year. And I guess that's where we will begin. I can't really think of a better type of movie to open cinemas back up with than Godzilla vs. Kong. Something loud, something explosive something that had built-in fan bases and honest to goodness it had rooting interest the weird thing about godzilla versus kong was that people started like taking sides and conversating as to like who would actually win this match as if they were talking about like a boxing match or a ufc match or something there was about as much of a buzz as buzz could be for a movie at least at this time and Theaters in Los Angeles, man, they, 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 uh, theaters in Los Angeles really took precaution. They announced this seating assignment program of sorts. They had maximized social distancing and the seating was cut off about 65 to 70%, if not more than that. Seats were extremely hard to come by. And how could they not be? You know what I mean? Now I can only speak of a couple of AMC theaters when I say that the handling of how to do the concessions w- were about as thorough as it gets. The drinks were served independently from the food. The food was very limited in what was served, and refills were not given at all. AMC had the uh, <laughs> they had the signature at the front of the at the front of the show welcoming audiences back to the movies. says, welcome back to the movies from AMC or some shit like that. And I would say for the first couple of months of reopening, this thing, this signature, always like elicited a cheer from the audience watching the film. And it was really refreshing to be back. The big release of April was Mortal Kombat. Unlike Godzilla vs. Kong, this was a hard rated R film. Also, unlike Godzilla vs. Kong, this was the first time I could really feel the effect of the Warner Brothers day and date release. And I'm not going to get too much of that here. All I will say is this. I saw Mortal Kombat on a Sunday evening, opening weekend. And in comparison to Godzilla vs. Kong the month before, the audiences seemed to go away substantially. And I got to admit, that was kind of worrisome to me. There were two movies I want to quickly point out here. There's a movie called Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. Amazing film. There's a Jason Statham drama called Wrath of Man. Also amazing. These were two movies that were exclusive to theaters at this particular point in time. That were on the scale of what a normal Release would be. I don't know if I. I don't know if I can explain that as much. Everything else, okay, on a major scale, whether it be the two Warner Brothers films that I just spoke of, Mortal Kombat, Godzilla vs Kong, or uh, or a film called Riot and the Last Dragon, which was also released in the month of March, they were simultaneously released. Like they didn't have the same feel to me, the common moviegoer, as Nobody in Wrath of Man. I don't really. Know how to explain it, man, but these films made me realize how much I'd missed going to the movies. It felt exclusive. It was around this time of year where I took a trip back home to Seattle and I went to see what was going on as far as what movie going was like in that environment. And of course, it was very different than LA, but the Efforts to maintain social distancing and sanitation after every show was very noticeable and thorough. I saw three movies. Spiral. Army of the Dead. Wack. And uh, one of the very worst movies I've ever seen, which was a foreign language film called New Order. Garbage. I don't know if it was put in the law in Washington State or something, but every time I'd went to go and see a movie... They'd spent so much time cleaning it that by the time they let me in, I was already in the trailers. And I appreciated that. The first truly massive films of 2021 both came on May 28th of that year. One was a Disney film called Cruella, which did not get a day and date release on Disney Plus. And the other one was one of the more anticipated films of the last two years. One of the best movies of 2021 called A Quiet Place Part Two. Can I ask you a question? When you saw the flame, night after night, did you know it was him? Yes. And did you ever think to come for us? No. By this point, it had been reported that at least half of the adults in the United States had received at least one COVID-19 vaccine dose. So, when A Quiet Place Part Two came out, the availability of seating was considerably larger than earlier in the year. But it was still very difficult to find a ticket. Fun fact about myself, I get movies for free. I have an associate's pass with AMC, and I've had one since 2008. And at this point, I was able to get into the occasional film or a film that had long, you know, opened with my pass, especially at my beloved theater, Century City 15. Shout out to Century City, by the way, great theater. But it wasn't happening at all, the weekend of A Quiet Place. And I wasn't mad about that. I was like, oddly happy that it was busy like that. The first week of June was where I could kinda separate myself from the mind frame of simply being happy to be back watching movies again, to paying attention to the business in the best way that I could. I had mentioned how I felt the impact of the day and date release strategy from Warner Brothers earlier in the year with Mortal Kombat, and how the audiences weren't there like they were when movies opened. And in the month of June, Warner Brothers hit you with a one-two punch of The Conjuring 3 and In the Heights. And it is here where I became somewhat painfully aware that certain genres are simply gonna have a harder time making money in this post-pandemic time. If this were a pre-pandemic time, The Conjuring 3 opens and it would undoubtedly be a big hit. I feel that it would have a colossal opening in comparison to any horror movie that was released last year, except for maybe A Quiet Place Part Two. Maybe. That's a big maybe, by the way. And it would ride the beat to $100 million like the previous two Conjuring films have done. Those two Conjuring movies arrived, earned money quickly, and then disappeared. And I thought the Conjuring 3 was going to do the same. And it didn't. Now so, more than any time I can remember. I think we kinda do need seasonal boosts for certain genres in order for them to make money. Like, I don't know if a romantic comedy can be released if it's not on Valentine's Day, for example. I mean, Halloween Kills came out two weeks before Halloween, 2021, and it cashed out heavily. And there's a reason why. It had nothing to do with the quality of the movie because it is (laughs) a far inferior movie To Conjuring 3, but you know, the holiday boosts the spirits, I guess. In the Heights was released right after The Conjuring, and In the Heights is a curious case. I don't know, you know, I don't really have all my ducks in a row about the issues of colorism that were brought on when the release of this movie happened, but I can tell you for sure that even if that controversy didn't exist, there is no fucking way this film would have ever gained money I went there opening week first day crowds were dead it was me and maybe 10 15 other people and it it was to a point where it was actually somewhat sad considering the just the massive hype that it had I mean from what I understand it it was a big hit on HBO Max and that's understandable musicals are so much more friendly for home viewing. And I realized this, post-pandemic especially, if you see an awesome musical number, for which this film has many, including that 96,000 song, which everybody raves about It's worth the hype, by the way, one can simply rewind and play a song as much as you want before moving on to the story. Musicals are a genre that you can really watch in chapters throughout a long period of time. And it doesn't really affect it like that. Anyway, this movie was also two and a half hours. And uh, when it comes to movies of that length that don't have star power, I'm just naturally sketchy about its overall box office potential post-pandemic. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to get all reckless, start throwing around words like sabotage or anything like that, but putting a two and a half hour musical with no superstars in the summertime with the day and date release doesn't exactly add up to something being successful, regardless of the pandemic or not. In the Heights is a vastly superior musical to Steven Spielberg's West Side Story that came out in the fall of 2021. But unlike In the Heights, there's an award season buzz that could have undoubtedly helped In the Heights make up for the money that it lost. There's simply no chance of success. And seasonally... If you were to released that during award season, I think it might've helped a bit. The week after In the Heights, the city of Los Angeles made the decision to become more lenient with the mask mandates and the socially distant seating. The significance of that, when it comes to going to see movies, didn't really come apparent until a couple of weeks after that decision was made because on June 25th, 2021, The first true tentpole blockbuster in a year and a half was released. And that movie was called F9. We've now been on insane missions around the world, doing what most would say is damn near impossible. And I ain't got one single scar to show for it. We are not normal. Okay, and just to clarify... Are you two maybe suggesting that we're what? Invincible? Maybe. So the ninth entry of the Fast and Furious franchise opening in the city of Los Angeles, of all places, was a very nostalgic feel. Quite literally, every person in this city that I know personally that talks to me about movies were telling me that they were going to buy tickets to this early because they knew it would be ridiculously busy in that first week. And they didn't want to wait. Advertisements for this movie were absolutely everywhere. All along Sunset Strip, bus, bus stops, television commercials, YouTube ads, uh, uh, commercials during the NBA playoffs. There were some areas in Los Angeles, well, downtown Los Angeles, where murals get painted to advertise things. And usually they vary in what's being advertised here, not Though in the month of June of 2021, advertising was so goddamn aggressive for F9. <sighs> like, there wasn't a point where I think any Los Angelino would be able to go through their day without Vin Diesel scowling fucking face hitting you all the time. Round every corner, he was. That's not counting the 30 or so interviews with each member of this ensemble talking about what this franchise has meant to the world over the past 20 years. This was not a big release. No, 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 no. This here is what they call a cinematic event. I know you guys hate this franchise. There's there's people listening to this that are scoffing at what I'm saying, but yes, a cinematic fucking event. Yeah, the numbers don't really reflect this, okay? Because, yes, you know, in the month of July of 2021, there was still hesitancy about going back into the theaters. And that's okay. Didn't reflect. But at the time, boy, it was nice to know. It was nice to have a cinematic event movie feel like event movies are supposed to feel from August on down, it started to feel normal. Vaccines are readily being handed out at this point, and before you know it, cinemas were being seated at full capacity. And right around that time, Shang-Chi was released. I should also probably mention that my name's not technically Sean. It's Shang-Chi. 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 Shang-Chi you change your name from Shang to Sean? Yeah, I don't. I wonder how how your father found you. I was 15 years old. Shang-Chi was released in the month of September and dominated very subtly. Didn't really have a lot of competition and so it stacked up money. I think it was number one for four weeks in a row due to a lack of competition only. Month of October hit with Venom, No Time to Die, Last Duel and Halloween Kills. All back to back to back to back. And they stacked up money as well. Well, not Last Duel, but everything else. We were back to being normal. Ooh, yeah. Um, we were back to being what we used to be. Aren't you forgetting something? Actually, I forgot something. Oh, my goodness. I forgot something big, folks. Let me, rewind. Let me rewind my timeline a little bit here. On August 22nd of 2021, footage from a trailer for a certain movie hit and people collectively lost their minds. But of course, because you can't really leak things of humongous movies, it was taken down a day later. And then the day after that, a trailer to that very same movie was released. A trailer to a movie called Spider-Man No Way Home. A trailer that might be one of the very greatest trailers I've ever seen. A trailer that wasted no time in teasing a crossover from all of the other Spider-Man movies that had existed up until that point. Or at least the ones that were live action anyway. And what's important about this, what's important about Spider-Man No Way Home is the lack of press. That was done ahead of the trailer's release. There really wasn't an aggressive ad campaign for it at any particular time, and actors were going on public platforms, flat out fucking lying about their involvement in the project itself. It's Andrew Garfield playing Spider Man again. Yeah. Oh, you almost got me. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Obviously, one day sharing the screen with them would be a delight. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, no one believes me, but unfortunately, it's not in this movie. Look, folks, the Batman, the the new Robert Pattinson Batman film, has been advertising itself in LA for the last five months, if not six. That's a normal press run for a movie of that size. And all there was for Spider-Man No Way Home in the three months before it was released were two trailers and word of mouth and internet conspiracy theories about what the fuck's gonna happen. And apparently in the post-pandemic world, that's all we needed. Because on December 16th, 2021, Spider-Man No Way Home was indeed released. And it was like a fucking Scud missile hit the box office. Sony's Spider-Man No Way Home is on course for a massive debut. The film grossed a record-shattering $121.5 million at the Friday box office for a projected weekend debut of $250 million. If that holds up, the superhero pick will secure the third or fourth top biggest domestic opening of all time. And remember a second ago how I said the audiences were resigned to never really expect Avengers-type numbers post-pandemic? or or at least for a few years, remember I said that? Probably about two, three minutes ago. Well, holy shit, was that indefinitely not the case. The opening of Spider-Man No Way Home very much proved that the box office could be what it once was, given certain circumstances. And you know what? I'll just take certain circumstances for right now. It was refreshing to see the astronomical numbers that it was hitting due to the fact that 2020 had just driven home the idea of going to the movies being extinct as this podcast progresses we'll further examine what 2021 did right and what it did wrong when it comes to movies when it comes to the movies themselves and there's plenty to talk about in both cases believe me but as of right now I can't help but to look at the Spider-Man numbers and just feel happy that movie Lived up to every expectation. That movie is a top five MCU movie of all time. Do not argue me on that, by the way. Most importantly, though, that movie topped off a 10-month cinematic year that brought movie going back. We'd been normalized up until that point, but we got a ceiling now, and that feels pretty fucking good. This episode is brought to you by Boss of Moss, the number one moss brand in Washington State. So what are the benefits of Irish Moss? Often touted as a superfood, proponents of this algae claim it can strengthen immunity, improve digestion, and even produce glowing skin over time. Irish Moss alone contains 92 of the 102 minerals that our bodies need in order to thrive. Boss of Sea Moss is a brand that incorporates Irish Sea Moss into things like face mask gels and bath bombs. They also have lemonades both in the original flavor and a new strawberry lemonade, as well as two original blends that you can put into smoothies of your own. The original 92 mineral formula and the herbal blend with all 102 minerals support black owned businesses. Check out Boss of CMOS at their website, bossofcmoss.com. Again, that's bossofcmoss, S-E-A-M-O-S-S dot com. All one word, by the way. Throughout my journey as a moviegoer in 2021, the one thing that's been overwhelmingly sad to see are the hollow shells of what used to be operational movie theaters. Whether it be in Los Angeles or Seattle, I couldn't help but to traverse the landscape of both areas and see signs outside of what used to be operational movie theaters, thanking the patrons for coming at one particular point in time. Most often, these particular movie theaters would be small-time operations. They might have one or two screens. It would always be deflating to see the closed sign or the for sale sign or the now leasing sign it would be consistently deflating but in one case that is not true there is one case in which the closure of a movie theater brought me great fucking joy and it continues to bring me joy to this day Sometimes when I'm having a bad day, I think of this movie theater being silent and empty and dead, and it brings warmth to my cold, cold heart. And that theater is called The Arc Light on Sunset. To anybody who's known me, even for a short amount of time in this city, they know that there are four things I hate just about as much as anything on this planet. Fireball whiskey. Yep. Or- Kanye West. Yep. The San Antonio Spurs. Yep. And the Arclight Theater on Sunset Boulevard. I need you to allow me to get super petty momentarily as I give the proper eulogy to the Arclight cinemas I want to thank you all for coming to celebrate the life of Arclight on Sunset. I appreciate you all joining me so that you may share your grief at the passing of what was once a mecca for tourists, film snobs, stellar Adler alumni, and USC film students alike. I do understand that a couple of you Los Angelinos are out there hurting today, but I'm not here to give you solace. I'm simply here to give you a reality check on once what was. The Arclight on Sunset never loved you. It exploited you. It sold you the idea of being more important to you than it actually was. And you took the bait. That's okay, that's fine. But you know how I know you took the bait? Because all one has to do is look at the very basics in which every single solitary movie theater in the country, if not the fucking world, provides. That the Arclight oversold and overblown for a variety of reasons that I will explain very shortly. But you know what? Before we start getting into all that, let me be fair here, man, and let me talk about the things that actually did well. What the hell could... Popcorn was really good. Yeah, it was good. That was actually pretty great. Like, seriously. Look, as a person who used to work in a movie theater for seven years, let me tell you a trade secret that you might not be aware of. Okay, If you are at a chain theater like AMC or Regal or Cinemark and you're eating any other popcorn, just understand that that isn't actual butter on that popcorn it's something called coconut oil. It has been all this time for any chain theater at least over the past 20 years, and with very few exceptions, nobody actually uses real butter. Being that I am one of those douchebags that you may see at a theater engulfing their popcorn with butter flavoring or coconut oil, if you will, I couldn't help but to notice that if I were to do my butter drenching activities at Arclight, and I let the popcorn sit for too long, then like actual popcorn with butter on it, it'll get soggy and chewy. That's something that simply does not happen at chain theaters, and that's the reason why. Concessions have gotten a little bit gnarly these days. Uh, Chain theaters have come up with contraptions like cheddar cheese popcorn, which is good, and Regal has a fucking diabolical contraption called flaming hot Cheetos popcorn, the fuck? a little bit too intense for me. So yeah. The popcorn. That's it. And, and I'm really just giving tribute to real butter when it's all said and done more than I am the fucking theater. But anyway, outside of that, I really did have to sit down and think of something else good. God, that came from this fucking godforsaken place. What exactly What exactly was the draw? What what was the thing that made it stand out? What was the thing that made people in this fucking city all ooey gooey about it? Was it the exclusives? Maybe? I mean, I do recall going to see a 70mm print of The Master when it came out at the Arclight. And for a while there, I gave it kudos for having 70mm prints to be shown as opposed to any of the other theaters that I frequented that I thought didn't. Only to realize that quite literally every historical landmark in this city is capable of 70mm showings. Whether it be digital or film, I mean, yes, I do know there's a big difference between the two, but technicalities are technicalities. Also, I mean, for the most part, chain theaters around here can switch to a 70mm format. I found that out much later when I saw The Hateful Eight at AMC Burbank in 70mm. it the ambiance? Was it the average fuck sized auditoriums with seats that were losing their coloration and wearing thin from decades upon decades of use, all the while not being comfortable enough to sit in anything more than a two-and-a-half-hour movie? Was it that? Was it the gorgeous and well-lit bathrooms that happened to almost never, ever stay clean, even on weekdays? Was it the big, drab, golden brown hollow ass main lobby that hits you in the face as soon as you enter the fucking place with nary a movie poster in sight I mean outside of a corny ass deco wall near the bottom of the back staircase leave it to me to defend chain theaters here for a moment but at the very least when you walk into an AMC you're greeted with a large mural showing you know, of multiple films over the decades. If you're going to a Regal Cinema, there's gonna be at least one video screen somewhere in the main lobby playing a video of a trailer or something. And if you're in the Cinemark Theater and you look to your far left and you look to your far right, you're gonna see seven to eight posters in a row telling you things that are coming out in the future. But not Arclight, no fucking way, no fucking way. You're getting hit with Showtimes, a box office counter, a big brown lobby, and that stupid fucking gift shop, man. Wait, what? hold on, that's it. Is it the gift shop? Is it the gift shop where I bought the Denzel Washington book called The Hand to Guide Me for $25 on the weekend of a movie called Two Guns that came out with him and Wahlberg only to find out that I could have bought it on eBay for like six bucks? Like a gift shop that will charge you $30 fucking for a mug that simply says Arclight Cinema's on it when you can actually go to Universal Studios and get a fully decked out Harry Potter Calderon coffee mug in the fucking gift shop for the same goddamn price. It couldn't have been the gift shop, man. Couldn't have been the gift shop, bro. Was it that infernal diner across the hallway from the gift shop? Where I spent $20 on popcorn chicken and a Caesar salad only to have the fucking popcorn chicken essentially be breading, and the Caesar salad have soggy ass lettuce? Where I ordered a ginger ale and it took those rat bastards five minutes to deliver my drink, and then they gave me no ice on top of that shit? Couldn't it be any of these things. None of these things. Couldn't be, right? That couldn't be what you miss. It certainly wasn't the customer service either. I mean, granted, the customer service was a coin flip from time to time. I guess I'll give them that credit too. But boy, when that coin didn't land on what you called the customer service to be good, it could be nightmarish. I went and saw a movie called Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I was heading there from downtown LA on a bus. I was like 10 minutes late and being that their debag policy meant that you couldn't be late for a show, I was turned away. Not during the show, mind you. Not during the show, but during the trailers. You see, at the Arclight, the trailers for some reason are so goddamn sacred that you can't possibly walk into the trailer set without offending your delicate sensibilities. Anywho, I got me a re-admit pass instead of a full refund because of course I did. You know what I mean? They weren't going to give me my cash back. Fuck you, Eli. I decided I was going to come back a couple weeks later to see something else with this this new readmit pass that was burning a hole in my pocket. And I went and I approached them, and I got turned away again. Why? Because the readmit pass was for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And quite literally, no other movie. And guess what? They didn't have the goddamn movie anymore. My re-admit pass was null and void, and I got robbed of $18 because of a re-admit pass to a show that didn't exist anymore. I have yet to see a tweet from any of you film snob jabronis talking about the customer service from the Arclight that you miss so much. So I'm going to take it that if... That we're in agreement here. That it's not the customer service that you miss. Nope. It's not the gift shop. Nope. It's not the diner. Nope. It's not the lobby. Nope. It's not the bathroom. Nope. It's not the seating or the auditorium. Nope. 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 Oh, wait. I know what it is. It's that Cinerama dome, isn't it? I'll give it to you, man. That Cinerama dome wasn't too shabby. Though, in my hometown of Seattle, Washington, on the corner of 4th Avenue and Lenora Street, there was once a place that had a very similar vibe to this Cinerama Dome you love, with a screen just as big, that was also called the Cinerama. It may have been a ripoff for your place, but who cares? May the Cinerama rest in peace, by the way. Somebody needs to buy that theater. It's been renewed. Give me a fucking break. In fact, nothing was special about the Cinerama Dome in Los Angeles itself. It's not the biggest screen in town, it's not the oldest auditorium, it's not even the most prestigious theater in a five mile radius, because the TCL Cinemas, formerly the Man's Chinese Theater, is right up the block. The only thing that made the Cinerama Dome relevant was hype, full-blown, unadulterated hype. The kind of hype that can only be generated by a highly influential person in this city. And on December 16th, 2015, That's exactly what happened when the legend himself, Quentin Tarantino, went on the Howard Stern Show and couldn't help but to lament about the situation involving the Hateful Eight not being able to be shown at the Cinerama Dome. I grew up in Los Angeles, so I think of the Cinerama Dome as a real big deal and imagine seeing it at the Cinerama Dome. Means something to you. Exactly. Right. I don't give a shit about this theater. (laughs) Quentin's a weirdo. Sorry, Quentin. (laughs) The the fucking kid, they got the the stupid 70mm, they got all that shit that he cares about. He just wants to show his goddamn movie there. Yes, I am aware that the Cinerama Dome existed long before the year of 2015. Yes, I am aware it had historical relevancy before that date. And yes, I am aware that it was mentioned in pop culture before this date, as you will recall the introductory credits to, say, the TV show Entourage in which the Cinerama Dome is prominently featured. But none of that compares, none of that compares to this hype. The deity, to all modern day film snobs, Quentin Tarantino practically told us that of all the places in the world, of all the places in this city, that he wants his films to be shown, it is there at this place. I'd been in the city five years up until that point. Being thoroughly underwhelmed by every single solitary experience that the Arclight had to give me. And now all of a sudden, it was this sacred holy ground of cinema to you film snob people. From this date forward, certain film snob motherfuckers would go out of their way to explain to you that, Hey, not only did I see this movie, I saw it at Arclight. They would emphasize that. As if the Arclight version of the movie that we both saw was different than the one I was fucking seeing. Film style motherfuckers would post on social media about seeing movies there. Not not like pictures of them inside the lobby or whatever. No, no, no. Not pictures of the building itself. No, 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 no. They would simply update their location to let you, the common person, know that, hey, I'm watching such and such movie at the Arclight Cinema. And I would say maybe 25% of those posts would mention a celebrity or something that they saw in the lobby or somewhere in the same vicinity as them. And that's it. That's the point of the arc light. The arc light had reached the pantheon of so many places in this city where people would go to feel more important than what they are on the off chance that there's a celebrity there doing the same thing as them. There's a word for people like that, a word for people who like to go where celebrities go, who like to indulge in celebrity culture for no goddamn reason. Long, a long time ago, uh, there was a young philosopher named Trent Reznor who wrote a song about people. He, He referred to them in some way, I'm not necessarily sure. I can't remember what that word was from, but it was from a song or something. That's exactly right, Mr. Reznor. That's exactly right, sir. That's exactly what they are. And I can't help but to be petty enough to see them wandering aimlessly, not knowing where to go because they're aggressively terrible, wildly overhyped, and flat-out consistently disrespectful. Cathedral of douchebaggery has long been vanquished of the earth from this fucking point. And in that, I've been given proof that karma can exist. In favor of good in this world i'm not unrealistic to think that there isn't some douchebag billionaire in this city that wants to be a local hero some douchebag billionaire that will rescue this horrendous place from the ashes someone that will come along and film snobs can appreciate and he'll save your sanctuary from its comatose state i know that I know that this world isn't awesome enough for me to sit back in a beach chair and watch a wrecking ball pound that insidious edifice of yours into the ground where it belongs. It'll be back. You can hold your heads high once again, but until then, I'm out here celebrating it at your misery. The the arc light off sunset may not be a theater as of right now, but to one little boy from Seattle, Washington, that entire building serves for one purpose every time I come across Sunset Boulevard that building with all of its quote-unquote history and all of its quote-unquote magic is Eli's largest urinal cake to those of you who don't live in this city I kind of know what you're thinking What exactly does some theater in Hollywood have to do with the culture of movies in 2021? I admit, it's a very minute thing in the big picture, but over the past year, wherever you are, dear listener, I'm pretty sure you've seen multiplexes go out of business. And in a lot of cases, I'm pretty sure that the multiplexes that have gone out of business are older ones, mom-and-pop shops that couldn't necessarily maintain operations due to the pandemic, like the big chain theaters did. A small theater that was quite possibly a place that you grew up with to go and see movies. Or quite possibly some place that was conveniently located in your small town if you're listening and you're from a small town. The namesake of this very podcast was one of those small underdog theaters that had to consistently contend with bigger, shinier, evil multiplexes from around the way. And like many underdog theaters have tended to do, we succumbed to them the big ones, the bullies, they outlasted us. They put us out of business. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to revel in the big bully type theaters getting their just due. The theater for which this podcast was named is still standing. It's not operational by any means, but it's still very much intact physically. And all the big, glossy, overhyped theaters with shitty customer service that we had to contend, well, they're gone. And by gone, I mean, they're wiped from the face of the earth without a physical remnant to speak of. Karma does indeed not sleep, ladies and gentlemen. And the hollowed shell that used to be Light Cinema is proof of that. Whew! Ah, I feel better. Boy, I have exercised those demons. My pettiness will probably be seen at some particular point in this podcast, but as of right now, I have exercised all of it. I feel physically tired, lamenting in the joy of that fucking place. Anywho, I'll do it for the first episode. (laughs) To those of you who have been rooting me on for this, for those of you who've tried to come up to me and talk movies with your limited knowledge that I've entertained, I thank you. I thank you for loving movies the way that I do. And I don't mean to get corny here, but I'm glad we're back. Because it didn't seem that way. Thank you for listening. I'll see you again very soon. And you've made it to the next episode.